Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. Welcome to this week's installment of the Gateworld podcast. You are listening to episode number 82. And I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is a show where two nerds get together and talk about Stargate. We're just a couple weeks away from the return of Stargate Universe on Sci-Fi Channel. And so we've got an SGU topic this week. This uh, this is one I've been wanting to talk about basically since the show premiered, I think, in October. SGU's Anti-Heroes. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in just a minute. But first, uh, it was just announced that Robert Nepper was cast on Stargate Universe. He was on Prison Break, and I just finished watching him on Season 4 of Heroes. And You uh, enjoy this guy. As, as uh, Samuel Sullivan, he's great. He's the main bad guy for Season 4. He's a great actor. I'm really excited about having him on Stargate Universe in Season 2. He's going to be in an arc lasting about six or seven episodes. And then there's also stuff up on the side about uh, there's a first look at the new SG-1 comic books that are coming in May. Vala Maldiron is the first comic book series. Um, we have the premiere date for the UK for the second half of SGU. And it's going to be on April 13th, so it's a week later than we were thinking it was. Um, the UK was four days behind the US broadcast for the first half of the season. Now they're going to be a week and, and a half. And apparently it's because sci-fi is going to take a week break uh, around Memorial Day weekend. So at that point, then, they'll, they'll catch up again. Good to know when they're airing stuff so we can plan our podcast accordingly. Uh-huh. So we'll have ten new episodes of SGU to talk about starting in a couple of weeks. Um, we're also keeping track on our favorite actors. Uh, Jewel State, Sci-Fi just announced that, that her Saturday Night Creature feature Mothman is airing April 24th, I believe it is. And uh, they also just announced that David Hewlett stars in Morlocks, which sounds cool to me. As a fan of, of H.G. Wells, hopefully there's mm-hmm. an actual tie in there. But uh, Morlocks is going to air sometime during the 2010-11 season. Don't know when yet. There's also some news. I haven't gotten this up uh, as of the time that we're recording the podcast because I'm waiting for a date. But it looks like Brian J. Smith's Poirot movie, Murder on the Orient Express, is going to be airing in the U.S. in July. And uh, here in the U.K., probably earlier than that, I'm still waiting for the date. That sounds like a, a dinner theater show. You know, I, I was a part of a, a dinner theater murder mystery on a train for my senior prom. Probably inspired by Agatha Christie's most famous uh, Perot novel. And we talked with Paul McGillian last week in a brief Yeah, you uh, caught up with interview. Paul. What's, what's Paul doing? Paul, what is Paul not doing is, is actually easier to answer. Go and check that out on the site now. The main discussion. It's been a few weeks since we've talked about SGU. This week our main topic discussion is SGU's anti-heroes. So, when uh, the writers crafted these main characters, we've got about uh, eight main characters on the Destiny, plus Colonel Telford, played by Lou Diamond Phillips. Sort of the concept for SGU was uh, we wanted to be more realistic, more realistic characters. Um, Characters that are shades of gray, that are not Mm -hmm. black and white, that are not sort of archetypal heroes, Mm -hmm. uh, always saving the day. Uh, always uh, having having the best motives at heart, and so we've crafted these these nine players and uh, all the support personnel on the ship 
as sort of uh, shades of gray as you and I and people that we know in the real world are, are shades of gray. I think it makes for more realistic storytelling. I mean, we know people in our own lives who who have a, a very, very real duality about them. I mean, and we think in our own hearts about, about who we are as human beings. And most of us are not Mary Poppins. We're, we're struggling to... Uh, to rationalize one side versus the other, our, and not just our, you know, do, do I kill this person or do I not kill this person, but you know, do I rationalize why I stole something, or what is necessary for me to feed my family, or, or to do what must be done for me to survive in this world, and you know, where is the line between good and evil in that regard? Am I putting myself before other people? I want to talk about uh, some of these characters individually. Uh, especially in contrast with the characters that we've seen on the previous incarnations of Stargate. So SG-1, we had your Jack O'Neill and your Daniel Jackson and, and Sam Carter and the gang. Uh, and, and Atlantis, you've got your McKays and your Shepherds and, and all those guys. They serve a very clear-cut purpose in the show. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to tell what their function is, and you can normally predict how they're going to behave in a certain situation. That's a good point. Some of these characters end up... Uh, being a little predictable because they sort of fill in the archetype of, well, you know, Ronan is uh, the alien warrior and he's uh, he's uh, dangerous and you mm-hmm. never know what he's going to do. But the result is you sort of end up knowing what he's going to do. You always it, know how he's going to react to the in wraith. In some circumstances because, yeah. yeah, they're playing their character roles. Certainly. They're playing their part. Uh, there's a lot less ambiguity. And this is not meant to say that those shows are that's dimensional at all, or that those characters are two-dimensional. Let's talk about Jack O'Neill. Jack O'Neill had some, some dark places that he went to sometimes. Um, we talked at the end of last week's show about Red Sky when uh, he pulls out his gun and, and almost shoots Malchus. Basically, mm. his teammates have to, have to hold him back and mm. say, Jack, you don't want to cross that line. Um, there, are, there are a few moments like that. There's moments like uh, Window of Opportunity... Uh, the, I just love the way that RDA does does delivers this line. I lost my son. You have an entire episode of humor and funnies, and we get to the moment of truth in this episode, and you're just completely disarmed because it's mm-hmm. not expected. Mm-hmm. And you know, those yeah, the rare moments, is so funny. And Jack O'Neill as a character is so funny. And it's a, a window of opportunity. is a humorous episode, and then at the end. You get that, it's poignant. that sense of it's poignant because exactly what you said it it cuts your feet out from under you. So Jack O'Neill is a, is a hero for sure. He's a hero of a character. Um, he he does the right thing, but then he also has some dark places that he goes to, and uh, and he's done as he says some damn distasteful things yeah. in his life as a soldier, Corai, uh, and doing black ops. Um, so, but it's always for the greater good. Well, yeah, as as uh, as he sees it, certainly, in his line of work. So that's I don't know. I, that's sort of the benchmark that I think of when I when I think of of SGU characters like Everett Young. Um, Jack O'Neill's is not two D, but he's still a hero. He's he's uh, somebody that you love and somebody that you can respect. And uh, the humor is so disarming. Humor is an important thing uh, to talk about. I think in SGU, where's the humor in SGU? Well, it, it often gets gets assigned to Eli. Mm-hmm. So Eli as a character becomes very um, 
very relatable and, and very charming and and relatable exactly the writers use humor to i think sort of disarm the audience especially in these really dark really serious circumstances uh, a little bit of a of a o'neillism or or now an eliism is going to disarm you a little bit and and i think as a viewer it it sort of cuts down the wall between me and the character if a character is doing something that that i don't necessarily agree with or what have you if if there's humor in there it's i sort of you know soften my my resolve against them mm. eli's kind of this malcolm in the middle character with with the kino he turns to you and and gives you like a take on a situation or whatever because that's that's really who he is and a lot of the characters kind of share that as well because every once in a while they'll all look into the kino and speak to the audience yeah, and it's interesting that I think the characters that are the most relatable on, on SGU so far, the characters that are, I guess, the closest to, to the viewer in their life situation, are the characters that are, are not meant to be portrayed as heroes. They're not members of the military. I'm thinking specifically of Eli and Chloe. Mm. Eli and Chloe are sort of the audience's point of view. They're just sort of typical people. Uh who were thrown into this extraordinary circumstance, and now they're on the ship, and they don't really know what to do with themselves. Fortunately, mm-hmm. Eli is a super genius, so he has yeah. he has. Now a, that's not very typical. A contribution that he can make, uh, as much as he's trying to to sort of parse his way between Rush and Young. But Chloe, I mean, Chloe's a is a great sort of every woman character because she's on the ship and doesn't really know what she has to contribute. She's stuck. Versus most of the civilians that we see are, you know, they have some scientific expertise, the the Volkers and the Franklins of the world. Well, it all comes down to them having a purpose at Icarus Space. You know, they had a purpose there, and they were trying to figure out what the Knights Chevron connected to, so their purpose is lent fairly well to the Destiny. I mean, you could be stuck with no scientists whatsoever, and then you'd really be royally screwed. It's it's definitely that the the team aboard was not the team that was supposed to go, but it's mm. far from the worst team that could have gone. They're at least able to deal with their situation. If you need a botanist, there's a botanist there. If you need if you need a, a physician, well, we've got a physician. It's not the best one, but, but there is one. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not like the Hammond was ferrying a group of uh, Harvard poli sci students <laughs> on a on a field trip. It's not Lord of the Flies. Hello, gentlemen. This is Cheryl from Eastern Washington, and I wanted to comment on your latest uh, question that you guys threw out during the last podcast. You're asking it wrong. It's not up to me as part of the audience to find a way to like whatever they put on the screen. It's up to them as writers. And if they're good writers, which these guys can be, it's up to them to find a way to have to catch the interest of everybody who watches Stargate, even if they're outside the desired demographic, which I definitely am. And this time, they didn't do it. The sergeant and the lieutenant and the slacker, and through the lieutenant, the senator's daughter, could be interesting. None of these people are likable, but they could be interesting. Um, this, the, colonel, the sour-faced guy that plays the colonel and the Lou Diamond Phillips character to steal a line from Kate Hewlett are not John Shepard, and they're not Samantha Carter or Cameron Mitchell, and they're sure as hell not Jack O'Neill. The scientist is basically not Sam, not Rodney, not Daniel. You put all that together, you add in the women characters who basically are just ciphers, and the others are, you know, a group of amorphous whiners. 
there's nothing in here to catch my interest, to hold my interest, at least not yet. I mean, maybe the second half will be better so far. It, it's up to the writers to find a way so that when I come home, you know, when I'm watching TV on Friday night, I want to tune into Stargate Universe. So far, they haven't done it. One of the main questions that I want to get at in this discussion is, are these characters uh, more or less relatable because they, they're being written as shades of gray, because we don't really have any heroes who are doing really heroic things? At least that would be my argument, is the heroic things are sort of few and far between. Um, and I like... Some of my favorite moments in the first ten episodes are those moments where one of these gray characters who does some things that I don't like acts heroic. Mm -hmm. So the end of Air Part 3, um, Scott finding the, the the lime and making it back to the ship, and Greer basically risking being stranded on this planet forever to go mm -hmm. back for his friend and find him. Those are heroic things that are being done by characters who are who are flawed and who have some dark moments at, at other times on the show. I haven't met very many people who say, you know, I think I most relate to Rush. I think that's one of the downsides <laughs> of having characters that you can't ever peg and figure out. Mm -hmm. It also creates a situation where you, know, you can't relate to them very well because you don't know what they're thinking. If somebody told me they related most to Rush, I don't know if I would want to get too close to them. Exactly. Um, at some point, I hope that you know we'll have his life story and, and be able to look back on all of these episodes in a different light and rewatch them with the context of the information that we've present, been presented over the course yeah. of the series. Yeah, knowing a little bit more about his motivation. And that's a gift that a lot of shows offer. Every time I finish a season of Lost, I can go back and rewatch the show with, with a completely new dimension, knowing the more inside information as to why yeah. everything was done, and I'm hoping that SGU will present that as well. We've been talking about SGU so much uh, over the course of the last, ooh, since October, where are we at? Six months, basically, since Air premiered. And we've only seen ten episodes. We've only seen ten hours. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there is that that uh, payoff. Again, It's we're sort of sitting here twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the payoff to, to some of these stories that have just been barely initiated. And... Um, that, that comes in, in terms of, of aliens and action just as much as it, it's hopefully going to be in terms of characters and learning why the characters are acting the way that they do. So we posed this question to listeners last week. Uh, the fact that characters are flawed, are, are gray, uh, does that make them more or less relatable? Uh, do you relate to them? Do you like them? Do you find it compelling to, to get involved in their story if, if they're not acting heroically? Um, let's listen to Scott from Houston. Hey guys, this is Scott in Houston. Now I know going into the SGU that it would be a darker show and that the characters were going to be more flawed than we're used to as a Stargate audience. But I also expect the characters to be compelling at the same time. And aside from Rush and his lush, prickish moments, Eli and Greer, and maybe some of the supporting cast, none of the main characters are particularly compelling because they are flawed. I think the writers have forgotten to give these characters a central core of integrity or a redeeming quality to offset these flaws. Vic, Shane, and Dutch on the shield were flawed pricks, yes, but they were also, there was something likable about them. Same with the DS9 crew and the people in Battlestar Galactica. I think the problem is that the writers are over-exaggerating the size of the character's development without giving us anything to latch onto as an audience. 
moral ambiguity of these characters also comes into play. When a character is morally ambiguous, they don't jump back and forth between good and evil, competent or incompetent for the sake of the plot. They follow their own moral compass and will do anything to achieve these goals according to this compass. Unfortunately, the writers don't know this, and this could be painfully slow to watch at times. The characters have potential, but I just wish the writers could find a balance between heroic and flawed. Scott makes an interesting point. A lot of characters do things that are just, um, you know, dark and despicable sometimes, but then there's other things that they do and other aspects of their personality that sort of sort of balance that out. You know, Jack can go too far sometimes, but, you know, he's lovable. There's always a redeeming quality. The thing is, I, I went home a few months ago, and I, I think I alluded to this last week. I don't remember if it made the cut or not. I went home a few months ago and uh, saw, my, saw my parents watching Sons of Anarchy, and they're really hugely into this show. My parents aren't big TV watchers. They, they're huge news watchers, very, very uh, current events people. And they were watching Sons of Anarchy, mm-hmm. and they told me how great a show it is. And I, um, so I obliged and watched two hours. Very well done show. Very well done. Very compelling. Very interesting. But I didn't want to keep watching it mm. because the characters were. I, I suppose this is the same way with The Sopranos. I, I don't know. I've never seen The Sopranos. The characters are scumbags. And they don't – they're drug dealers and they're, they're gun dealers, and they, in my opinion, have little to no redeemable value. And if mm. I can't watch characters that have little to no redeemable value or shows completely about characters with that, how am I supposed to root for them and how am I supposed to continue watching every week, hope that they survive? I'm going to hope that they get killed. They're despicable. <laughs> they're despicable yeah. people. Why should I root for them to survive when I should be rooting for the other guys to pump them full of bullets? Yeah, root for the cops to catch them. Yeah. There's, I, I'm not going to say anything good or bad about these shows because I've never watched them. Yeah. But shows like Dexter, which is about a serial killer, and um, new show Breaking Bad, but the dad from Malcolm in the Middle is, is uh, apparently a yeah, Brian uh, Cranston. drug dealer. I've just not ever been tempted to watch those shows because it... it seems like the basic premise of, hey, our hero is, uh, in terms of societal conventions and the law, is really a bad person. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear if uh, people who watch those shows, I've got a buddy who loves Dexter, mm. you know, are those characters, do they, do they then have a, other aspects of them that are, that are uh, redeeming, that, that sort of counterbalance the fact that it's, you know, it's really hard to root for a show about a serial killer. Well, and then I, I'll have to admit that I love Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick. The character of Riddick, while I do not love and adore and aspire to be like him, um, he is uh, the lesser of a number of different evils presented mm-hmm. in both of those films. And he, though admittedly has been a psychotic killer in the past, a terrible murderer, uh, does things that redeem him in the movies to an extent. So it mm-hmm. perhaps it's not fair for me to judge all of Sons of Anarchy based on two episodes, and I will freely admit that. But with Stargate Universe, you have characters that you just can't peg because they do deeds of good and then do deeds of real ruthless evil sometimes. And granted, we're only seven and a half hours into the adventure, so you know, it's, who knows what they're going to do next. Pieces are just barely set up on the board. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more concretely about SGU. And the big example that I have coming off of Justice, 
the last new episode that we saw in December is Colonel Young. Colonel Everett Young is is my favorite character so far on the show. He has been up until the the mid season cliffhanger, when what he does again. There's spoilers for Justice if you haven't seen it. Um, what he does at the end of the episode is is deliberately strands Rush on the planet because Rush has become too big of a problem. He is he's a bigger problem than he's worth. So you know, Young Young punches the guy and beats the crap out of him and leaves him for dead. And then he comes back and lies about it and tells everybody on the ship, Rush got caught in a rock slide. He didn't make it. He's gone. So now my favorite character on the show has done this damn distasteful thing. He's got blood on his hands, and I'm not sure uh, how to continue to root for him, how to continue mm. to, to love him as a character, even though it, it, was, it was an awesome way to end the episode uh, and to, to end the first half of the season. And uh, in terms of storytelling, I think it's really interesting and really compelling, but I'm not sure if I want to root for Everett Young anymore. You know, it's it's interesting to see a character, like, become a cowboy and take the law into his own hands, you know. And it would be interesting to see how we would have felt about the entire crew had the entire crew been given the opportunity to voice their opinion. And if a majority opinion was to abandon him on <laughs> the him planet, off. vote yeah. him off the ship... How would we have perceived them that way? But no, we've now got this character who has taken the law into his own hands, become a cowboy, and done something pretty nasty. For the greater good? Perhaps. Definitely not for himself, I don't think. The interesting thing about Justice is that he he plays it so well leading mm. up to the end. He's just acts above recrimination in stepping down and ceding command to, to Camille in... in uh, having this evidentiary hearing, he's just above reproach. And then at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. nobody's looking. He goes dark. He, he goes he goes big time dark. So let's say that at some point he is going to be redeemed for this. Um, I hope so. Because I mean, It makes sense that he will be. So let's just say that he's going to be redeemed for this at some future point. What does that mean for that character? We know that he he is capable of this. What could he possibly do next? Even yeah, if he is redeemable in this circumstance, should we continue to root for him, or are we just going to get our have, asses handed to us? You and I have talked about redemption um, quite a bit, both on the podcast and off. Um, some of our our favorite movies and TV shows and individual episodes are are movies and shows that that feature redemption as a strong mm-hmm. strong element. So um, I'm not going to cite any more examples right now, but. A character has to go dark. A character has to do something just awful mm-hmm. in order to get to the point where where the redemption is significant. And so hopefully there is redemption. Hopefully it's just it's not just all dark, dark, dark all the time. But now in the in the case of Young, he's done something that I'm hoping that there's going to be some redemption for. And and I guess I'll judge the show and the character based on what that redemption mm-hmm. is, how it comes, how he responds to it. You know, Rush, Robert Carlyle hasn't been written off the show, so Rush is coming back at some point. How, do, how are those two guys going to deal with it and with each other when, mm-hmm. when Rush comes back? I enjoy uh, Colonel Young a great deal, too. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's answered. I've sort of divided this up for us between uh, military characters and civilian characters. Um, civilians can, can, on Stargate, can do some, some pretty awesome things. Certainly Daniel Jackson is a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess our military guys, we sort of hope and expect that they're going to act heroic because that's sort of 
it's part of the job description, isn't it? You you uh, get to tote around a gun, and you're charged with protecting all the rest of us. You've taken an oath. So you've taken the oath. So at some point, uh, you're going to be in an extraordinary circumstance where some heroism is going to be necessary. Uh, how much of that have we seen from guys like, like Matthew Scott and Ronald Greer um, and TJ? TJ hasn't really gotten out into the field much. Mm-hmm. She's, she's been sort of the shipbound doctor. But she has stepped up in certain situations. I mean, look at, look at like in, in the episode Water. It appears uh, that these guys are all, uh, particularly with Scott, you know that he is willing to lay down his life to protect that ship. You know that. I don't know about Telford yet. He seemed to be really interested in getting out of there pretty quickly, disconnecting from the stone. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not he would have died, yeah, in Earth, uh, it, whether or not he would have died while he was connected, that's still beside the point. He ran to follow orders or not. So that that's an interesting character, to have a character that is, that is military who is potentially a coward. Um, yeah. is great, in my opinion. Great drama. And TJ, you don't know yet quite what she's really capable of. Greer also. Greer, you know, that's an interesting character to follow. Um, we don't know uh, what he is capable of, what he's not capable of. Yeah, for most of these guys, I think that we just haven't seen them in action enough to know uh, if if they would really fit the bill as, as a quote-unquote hero. Um, Scott has been in the action. He's done some some awesome things for sure. Uh, but this guy also has a side that, you know, I don't want to root for the guy who's who's doing the the girl in the closet when he should mm-hmm. be on duty. They're flawed. They're gray. It's it makes for some interesting characters. But I'm really interested in this question of do we root for flawed characters? Do we find them likable? Stargate especially has always been about about its characters, and and Stargate fandom has been largely about um, you know individual fandom groups developed for individual characters so there are Daniel fans and there are Vala fans and there are Shep fans and there are Weir fans and there are Ronin fans um, in a, a year's time or two years time is there, a, is there a fan group for Matthew Scott? Is there a fan group for Rush? It's kind of a different animal you see what I mean? Because they're not the same sort of characters Hi, my name's Stephanie, and I'm actually calling from Japan right now. I wanted to make a short comment about your question on whether or not we can love those um, who have proven themselves to be less heroic on Stargate Universe. While listening to your short discussion on it, all I can think about was the episode Light. I think it's quite natural for me to think that the most heroic people are the ones that are willing to give up their lives in the face of adversity. I will always remember Everett as the character who is going to give his seat up. And they will always remember Ray as the one that would not. In fact, not one of the 15 people that got picked in that lottery gave up their spot. I know this may be closer to real life, but quite frankly, I don't watch Stargate to see real life. I think it would have been really touching to see someone, anyone, give up their spot when their name was called. Furthermore, this was an episode where I really started to like Greer. Out of all the people standing in the gate room, realizing that they would be stuck on that doomed ship, I believe that Greer is the only one that could have bullied his way onto that shuttle. But instead, he accepted his fate and even knocked out Spencer, who was trying to be just that bully. Because of the way they compose themselves, Everett and Greer will always stick out to me as really heroic people. As for being able to like the more, quote-unquote, cowardly ones, it is quite difficult for me 
but hey, it's Ming-Na and Robert Carlyle. They can get away with a whole bunch and still be loved by me. I think what, and I'm, I'm generalizing, I, I apologize, just just having a hard time pegging a lot of these characters that we don't know about, but I think I think one of the, the interesting questions that I'm looking forward to seeing answered is, can you have a regular character on the show who is not redeemable? And if so, what does that say about the Stargate franchise? A, a franchise that has been so full of redeemable characters. Can you mm. do that without betraying what the show is? At its, at its core. seems to me that that's the way that Rush's character was originally conceived, was sort of the the guy who doesn't necessarily get a redemption. He gets... Okay, he was set up in in, uh, in air with this picture of this this woman. We don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend or his sister or whoever. Um, but... So he's got a side of his life that, that we get to see, you know, through the chinks in his armor. But otherwise, the guy's just sort of a self-centered, self-interested jerk who will, you know, he'll tell off Volker and tell him that he's, he's honestly, you are not smart enough to be in this room with me right now, is basically the way I think he treats Volker back in darkness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, does this, does this kind of a character have a redemption? Does he need one? Does, mm-hmm. did, did Baltar in Battlestar have a redemption? Did he need one? Oh, he most definitely needed one. <laughs> there are the characters who are going to be a given. Now, you've got Eli and Chloe, who are absolutely, you know, they, they, they are designed to be likable. And yeah, I hope nice that they people. have character. I hope that they have moments in the future where they are, they are required to, uh, to, in in a circumstance or two, have to make a tough choice and have it not be the cut and dry correct one. But then mm. you've got characters like Camille Ray who, you know, a beautiful artist and, and has a great relationship back home, who can just be a shark, you know? And mm-hmm. f- for her own interests, for other people's interests, for political power, why does she behave the way that she does? And is she just doing it for her own survival, or is it that she wants to become the next Nancy Pelosi? I mean, it's really interesting <laughs> where she... Yeah, it's, it's really interesting where she is going as a character, and we haven't talked about her yet. Yeah, it, this is one of the great things that I do like about the fact that we've used the stones to go back to Earth. Uh, the, the good thing that I think that's contributed to the show is we see Camille can't act that way with anybody on the ship. Uh, so we can't see what her real motivations are. And now we've seen her in life with Sharon, and it seems like her real motivations are she's desperate to get home. Mm. to to her friends and her family maybe her parents not so much but um you know people that that uh, she cares about and so that's that that soft vulnerable side of the character casts everything that she does on board the destiny in such a new and interesting light i don't know if you've been in a in a company that's large enough to support an hr person but hr is supposed to be basically the model of of dignity and grace and fairness and all that and mm-hmm. you know i compare i look at camille and i and i expect to see you know jane doe who has been my hr advisor in the past and it's just holy smokes you are not a model of dignity and grace and fairness and compassion you mm. are an evil woman <laughs> maybe she was that back on icarus space mm. but now that she's sort of uh i don't know She's... Or she could may have always been a mean and spiteful person who got into the position that she she was in because of some very shady people. You know? mm. Unfortunately, that's off, that's often the case. Here's another example. Um, this is a Rush example, 
This is The End of Earth, which is episode seven. Telford brings these two scientists to the ship, decides uh, we're going to use the Stargate to try and dial back to Earth and get everybody home. The way that we're going to do that is we're going to take the ship into, the, into a sun and have it recharge and dial while we're inside of a sun. Rush says, you know what, this is just an awful, awful idea. You're going to get us all killed. And the conclusion to the episode, the big heroic save, Rush saves the day, basically, if he's right, uh, that, that Telford would have, would have put everybody's lives at risk. He saves the day basically by faking out Telford into thinking that, that there's just a, things have gone cataclysmically wrong. You've got to leave the ship. The destiny's about to blow up. And then after Telford and his scientists leave, Rush reveals with a, with a smirk to everyone. It was a light he show. Just, he just pulled a fast one and uh, gave him a little light show. And uh, Telford surely would have killed us all. And now we're okay. Uh, really interesting thing for, for, for Rush to do. And it's sort of, you sort of, I laughed and cheered. You know, because Telford is, is the antagonist here. Telford is the bad mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rush, you know, used his smarts to outwit the guy. So it's, it's kind of a nice little moment for Rush. But now compare that to the way that somebody who I would describe as a heroic person would have, would have behaved in that situation. Uh, would, would he or she have used deception the same way? And what this made me think about was Chain of Command uh, in Season 4 of SG-1. When uh, Hammond gets replaced at the SGC by General Bauer, and Bauer Great has character. this idea, uh, he's uh, apparently apparently uh, got a crazy idea from from uh, who is it? The Rogan ID that, yeah. that we think has put him in power. He's a patsy. So let's take a super duper bomb to a planet, and and a planet that is uh, a rich rich in Naquita, so highly volatile. Let's blow up a bomb. And see if we could basically destroy this entire planet as a, a potential weapon against the ghouls who occupy uh, Naquita rich worlds. Sam thinks this is a bad idea. Yeah. This is a colossally bad idea, especially because we're monitoring this explosion through the Stargate, and we don't know if we're going to be able to close the Stargate again. This could be colossally bad for Earth. And uh, she is a hero, I think. Uh, and as a as a military personnel who is sworn to follow the chain of command, she goes along with this, even though she knows that it's going to end badly. She goes along with it and participates in this plan. And Earth is nearly destroyed. Uh, and fortunately, it works out in the end because the gate shuts off. Yeah. But um, that's sort of the contrast that I saw with what Rush did in tricking Telford. Rush is underhanded about it. And yeah. in, a, in a similar sort of scenario, Sam uh, really didn't do anything. But but I saw it as sort of of heroic in terms of of her moral character in in, in basically not uh, cutting this general off at the knees. Well, I w- recently watched Forty Eight Hours, and she says to Rodney, "My job is to present the options, not to decide mm-hmm. whether or not to go through with them. Uh, that is her job. That is her role." And you have Rush, who is kind of a rogue, uh, who wants the destiny for himself, it seems. He's going to go to pretty much any extent he can to get it. I mean, he's already, if you look at it at one perspective, he's already tried to offload 15 of, of the personnel just to to get them away from the ship. Yeah, and in Earth, it's it's almost like he, he's, he has his own agenda. He's self-motivated, and 
he probably saved everybody else's lives, but they're just sort of, you know, he didn't do it for them. He did it for Destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just lucky that they happened to be there to get saved. Hi, guys. In response to this week's listener question, I can't say I find any of SGU's characters to be heroic, with, so far, the possible exception of Eli. I say that because, unlike the previous Stargate series, the characters in Universe all seem to think from their individual position first before making decisions or taking action. How will this benefit me? How will this keep me safe? Rush is the most blatant example of this kind of behaviour. He's Machiavellian, he's always thinking two steps ahead of everybody else and planning for his own benefit. But all the others do it to varying degrees as well. They make mistakes, they make flaws, they have errors. They're all shades of grey. None of them is a good guy in the traditional sense. From a dramatic standpoint, it's refreshing and it's engaging and it's very different, but it's, although dramatic, it's also rather pessimistic and it makes it very difficult to connect to any of these characters, far less actually want to aspire to be like them or respect them, which to me are qualities of heroic characters. It's ironic, but I felt this way a little bit during Atlantis's third season, which you reviewed in your last podcast. The two characters I could directly relate to and did admire were taken out of that series in its third year. By comparison with Universe, I'm having a bit of a struggle relating to the characters, because none of them are ones that I would aspire to be like. I'm not that bothered if they actually do manage to make it back to Earth at the end. Only time will tell if my position as a member of the audience and my attitude towards the characters changes. Thanks for your message, Andy. Um, You know, we all have people in our lives who we just don't get. We can't identify. Uh, And we never will unless, either intentionally or not, we find out where they've come from. We find out why they behave the way that they behave. They're not nefarious per se. They're not they're not deliberately evil. They were raised a certain way and this is how they perceive the world because of it. Um and yes, there is a little bit of good and evil in a person that that is that only comes down to a person and how strong they are in overcoming the cards that life has dealt them. But until we really know Rush's story or Camille's story, it's really hard to pass judgment on them because yeah. we don't know how they've lived and we don't know what they've dealt with. And it makes me want to see the Rush backstory episode that I know is coming in the second half of the season. Uh, it just seems like that kind of a backstory is going to cast this discussion in new light. You don't introduce a character like that without having that character be fleshed out in a future episode up until now first 10 episodes rush is basically a bad guy yeah he's he's not a good guy and he's not a member of the crew who is flawed and has shades of gray uh gray being there are good sides to him and bad sides to him so far he's basically just a bad guy we saw him vulnerable when he looked at the photo uh in air part one but otherwise he's just an antagonist and there's got to be more layers to this guy than that when Jack sticks a gun in Malchus's face in Red Sky, part of me wants him to pull the trigger because part of me is just as mad at that guy as Jack is. Um, that's sort of the the darker side of me. So, But what does that make watch, our hero in the process? Yeah, I want to watch a show where the hero doesn't pull the trigger because, uh, you know, he the better angels of his nature went out. 
which shows me that even though I feel sometimes like I want to pull the trigger, mm-hmm. that I have, you know, I have an example of, of uh, these characters and know that that doesn't have to be the way that it ends. I I would have loved to have been in the writer's room for a number of the the episodes that were, were created. I mean, you can't do that to Shepard. Shepard can't do that. He's the <laughs> hero. He's the hero. He can't do that. With SGU, the handcuffs are off. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a hero and a villain now. That's there's, a good point. Th- there's no, oh, he simply can't do this because he's the hero. Therefore, we cannot go there. You can go there with all of these characters. Yeah, that's a great point. Gene Roddenberry famously said uh, when he created Star Trek The Next Generation, sort of handcuffed the writers in saying our lead characters on the crew of the Enterprise D can't, role have, models. can't have any conflict with each other. You can never have Riker and, uh, uh, I don't know, Geordi have a, have a major conflict. Uh, and after Gene passed, they went there a little bit with um, things like uh, in All Good Things, mm. the, the series finale. You see that Riker the, and Worf, Riker and Worf have had some some strife uh, after the death of Deanna. But um, you know, otherwise, there's there's not much. And and when you get a show like DS Nine, that that was post Gene and that Gene did not directly uh, help to create. Uh, I think that was one of the deliberate choices that was mm-hmm. made with DS9 and doing a darker track. Mm-hmm. Is we can have our main characters just get PO'd at each other and fight and not like each other. I understand that Gene was wanting to create a create shows where the characters all were were perfect role models and were just a model of of virtue, love, generosity, justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can't keep doing that. Look at where Picard goes in, in First Contact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, revenge kick. Moby Dick. Captain mm-hmm. Ahab. But that's that's just one of the things with SGU that I love. So the question at the end of the day for me is, what do we need to enjoy a show? Do, do the characters have to be relatable? Do they have to be likable? Can we watch a show where there are some characters, or maybe even, maybe even all of the characters, that... Uh, are so flawed that that you don't really like them as people. They do really interesting things. Uh, you know, my favorite non-sci-fi show is House, and House is a is a not a likable guy, but at the same time he's so likable because he's you know, he's funny and he's brilliant. And he's got this soft side that he tries to cover up. But um, Young and Scott and Rush, um, do these characters? have to be likable does the show have to have one likable character maybe eli in order for you to follow it i don't know the answer to that yeah i i personally hope that scott's going to do something particularly dark that just uh, not and i'm not talking about sex and closets i'm talking about him making a morally like ambiguous decision that just slams a a a streak of of black he is like one of the more two-dimensional people at, at this point you know i in my opinion um, and I think there's a great potential for him to be one of the more interesting characters from that perspective, much like mm-hmm. Rush on the show. I don't know. Maybe my desire to talk about this topic is just my working out my angst over the way that Justice ended. Because I, because I like Young so much, and I want to like him. I, wanna, I mean, I still like him, even though he did this, because story-wise, it's interesting. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of rooting for him, in terms of finding him to be, to be relatable, and, and somebody that I can really respect and look up to as a character 
like Jack O'Neill or Daniel Jackson. I want to to recapture that. So I want there at some point to be some sort of redemption, some sort of sense that young, I don't know, wishes that he didn't do it. Maybe he feels regret. Maybe he makes it up to Rush somehow. Maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe it did bother. But I do things in my life that are, you know, I'm a flawed character just as much as these guys are, and I do things that I regret later. And um, so I guess that's that's the big question is, Mm. does this bug him? Mm-hmm. Or does he not care? Because if he doesn't care, then then he might as well be a villain. He's no better than Rush. If he's just self-motivated, he wants to get Rush off the ship, and he doesn't care how he does it. Thanks, guys, for those messages. We have a little bit more voicemail this week. Let's get to it. Hi, Darren and David. This is Craig from Newfoundland. Um, it's calling regards to the uh, Stargate Atlantis question of uh, favorite Season 3 episode. Mine would be McKay and Mrs. Miller. Um, basically, I think it was uh, great to see Roddy's sister after having um, heard her mentioned in a few previous episodes. It's great to finally get to meet her and to see her reactions to uh, basically the Stargate program and, and going to upper space and meeting her first alien. Um, and it was great to see uh, a side of Ronnie that we really hadn't seen before and get to see a little bit of character development for him. Um, it's also fun to see the alternate universe McKay and to see the reactions to uh, some of the revelations that he had, uh, like the uh, how the Shepard in his universe would react to certain things, and uh, how Ronnie and Eugene re- reacted to uh, him and how they got along. So we're coming up once again on Space, which premieres on Sci-Fi Channel and, ironically, Space Channel in Canada on April 2nd. So we have one more podcast before we get back into talking about new episodes of SGU. And so we're going to be wrapping up our Stargate History series of podcasts. Next week, we're going to talk about Atlantis Season 4. Again, we've already podcasted on Season 5, so this is going to complete. We will have, have uh, talked about every single season of all the shows and the movies as of next week. So we want to hear from you. This week's listener question, David. What is your favorite episode from Atlantis Season 4, and why do you love it? That's uh, going to be a hard one for me. I knew you were going to say that. Your listener questions are so predictable. Well, you know. Maybe my favorite year of the show. I don't know. I'll have to, to rewatch some before next week. That'll be our March 31st show, Atlanta Season 4. We'll come back on April 7th and talk about space. And then on April 14th, it's Episode 12, Divided. We're keeping busy for you on the Gate World podcast, so I hope you keep on tuning in. Hope you enjoy the show. I'm amazed at the number of people who start from episode one and work their way up. I can't imagine oh, yeah. how to tolerate that. I mean, <laughs> there is no way that I'm going to listen to all the episodes again. Let's tolerate you and I. Amazing people who post and say, I just caught up. After <laughs> just caught up? <laughs> after, after starting at, boy, we started with Search and Rescue. You mean you've spent approximately 70 hours listening to me? <laughs> wow. Please turn off the podcast, go outside. That's everything we've got this week. Thanks for tuning in. Come back in a week or so and we'll do it again. We want to hear from you on your favorite episode of season four of Atlantis or anything else that's on your mind, hopefully Stargate related. Mm-hmm. David, what number can they call if they have such thoughts to share? 951-262-1647. Call in, leave a voicemail day or night. It's an answering machine. Don't worry, you do not have to get in touch with another human being to achieve this. 
day or night, no human beings will answer the phone on the other end. You will not wake up anybody. You will not wake up my sleeping children. Although, for the number to do that, I can give you that right now. Please do. No, please do not. <laughs> if you don't want to call a U.S.-based phone number, uh, you can also record a short message on your computer and email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. And, of course, we always like seeing you pop up and say hello on the podcast feedback thread over at GateWorld Forum. Mm-hmm. This is an exciting season. This is We're going we're gonna to do Atlantis again next week. Talk about some of my favorite episodes, and then we're back into new episodes of, of Stargate Universe. This is this is when things get exciting again. So we'll talk lots more about that in the next couple of weeks as the show gets going again. We'll have uh, updates to the episode guides. Uh, I'm going to try and do some episode analysis. We're going to update the Omnipedia. There's lots of fun stuff going on. I just had this image in my head. I thought you were going to start saying, I'm going to try to do crunches and... And get on the elliptical and and you know yes. start start to work out a little bit. I just yes. expected that in my head for some reason. I need to, to be in that. shape. <laughs> Chloe's coming back on the TV, and I need to get rid of this gut. All righty. Thanks for tuning in, as always. And from GateWorld, this is still Darren. This uh, for now is David. Uh, for now, until the operation. Uh, I will see you back here next week on for the more World of. Podcast. That's right. <laughs>